um, for today's message is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. And we will be on these verses, not only today, but next week as follows. And our message today will focus primarily on verse 20. And our message is entitled, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. Reconciliation. A basic definition is to restore to friendship or harmony, to make consistent, to accept something unpleasant. A young insurance salesman had just completed a training seminar in which the attendees were encouraged to strike up conversations with strangers. They were told that it was a good way to introduce themselves to new people and thereby gain new clients. The young salesman stopped off at a fast food restaurant for dinner, and while standing in the line, he decided to try to implement what he had learned. He started to say something to the man in front of him, but didn't know what to say. Just at that time, he saw a woman sitting at a table in the restaurant that was a little bit on the unattractive side, to say the least. He leaned over to the fellow in front of him and said, did you see that ugly lady sitting over there? The man replied with anger in his voice, sir, that is my wife. The young salesman panicked but tried to recover. He said, no, sir, not that lady, the one beside her. And the man gritted his teeth and said, that's my daughter. Sometimes when we try to bring harmony to a situation that we have brought disharmony, we can easily cause more disharmony. This morning we're going to look at only one point, the father's reconciliation of the prodigal son. Verse 20 says, so he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So when we look at the scriptures, we see that earlier the prodigal son had rehearsed and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say that I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my father. And he says, I'm going to get up. But now here in verse 20, he actually physically got up. But we need to pay close attention to what's going on. He physically got up, but he had already gotten spiritually up. See, many times we just jump right over that. But we're going to break this stuff down today that you're going to see God is going to be teaching a principle that he's always taught of repentance, reconciliation, and next week we'll see restoration. So by confessing and repenting of his sinfulness towards his father... He was not returning to the father as an unrepented son. He was not returning to the father still involved in the ungodly behavior. The son was returning ready to be in the presence of the father, ready to accept the father's authority. Don't miss that. 
See, a lot of times we got him just running to the Father, the Father's arms open up, he's accepting them. He's accepting them because he has done what he told them to do, to repent. Don't get caught up with the clothes, because the clothes ain't got nothing to do with the repentance. The repentance was he had gotten to his sense, he had come to his senses, and he had recognized, I have sinned against my Father. Mm. Mm. That alone... I was just mailing in that all. I'm driving to Rockford, and I'm thinking of this. I said, man, God, you are speaking so much in these verses that often we just miss. James 4a says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The Father cuts the distance between us and him caused by our sinful behavior. And how do we draw to him? We don't draw to him in an unrepentant state. We draw to him in a repentant state. God's not sitting there doing cartwheels because we come back to him in sinful behavior. Still saying, I don't recognize your authority. All I want is the goodies from you. Oh, man. We ain't going to get a lot of amen, but this is just page two. The prodigal returns home was not guaranteed to end with a loving reunion. In a situation like this, it would not be surprising if the father simply refused to meet the son face to face. He did get a meeting. The son would have to sit outside the city gate in public view for several days to hear harsh, judgmental comments from the folks in the village to receive looks by the people in the village. So the father could have said, you can meet with me, but you're going to have to stay at the gate. Don't forget that, because that's going to tie into some running we're going to see later on. So we say, man, how bad would that be, that you're going to make people sit at the gate and let people talk about it? Some of us who are a little bit older, we can remember when there used to be something called the morning bench. See, the old folks and new people, morning bench, what's that? Well, they were crying? No, they, you're going to sit on that bench till you did cry. And you're going to sit on that bench because you done committed some sin and you haven't repented of it yet. So what they're going to have is the old church ladies with their hats on with the little bobby pins in them and everything. They're going to see the little girl on the bench. Ooh, you know you shouldn't have been doing that. You shouldn't have been doing that. You a horrible little girl if you're sitting there getting pregnant. You done got pregnant. Same thing would have been in the Old Testament. So when you say, how did they come up with morning bench? Ain't nothing new under the sun. As the Pharisees and scribes listened to this parable being told, they probably would have been thinking, finally, this parable is making some sense. The son was returning home, humbled, already having confessed that he was wrong, already having renounced his rights to his position as a son, willing to work as a hired servant, Pharisees and scribes were thinking he's going to finally have to pay dearly for his actions. Because you got to remember, the Pharisees are the audience that Jesus is talking to, and they're hearing this story go along just as we're hearing it go along. So they hear him coming back, and they're thinking he's going to be coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to get his upcoming. Because in their theology, there was no room for showing grace to such a sinner, even if he was a repentant sinner. He's going to have to work the rest of his life as a good, God-fearing person that he might, might be forgiven. 
In many of their minds, this prodigal son would always remain the black sheep of the family. Now, I know none of you guys are the black sheep of the family. But you might have some black sheep in your family. And you know, when you see them at a family reunion, what comes back in your mind? I know what they did in 2004. I know what they did in 1999. And you always got a feeling about them that they ain't really worthy to be in our family. Hmm. However, the prodigal found a father when he returns who had been longing, looking, living for his son's return by way of repentance. Don't forget the earlier verses. God is waiting with great anticipation for his children to come back to him, but don't come back to him any old kind of way. He's waiting for you to repent so you can come back to him. Now, we understand this, and even if we ain't theological scholars, if little Johnny or Susie does something that they had no business doing, does that mean we stop loving them? No. But you are expecting to hear from their mouth, I'm sorry for what I did because I know it was wrong. We talked about this in Sunday school class, all the way back to Genesis. What was God waiting to hear when he said, where are you, Adam? Wasn't worried about where he was physically. He knew where he was at physically. He wanted to know, where are you spiritually? Are you ready now to confess and repent of eating of that forbidden fruit? And what did he do? It's not my fault. It's that woman you gave me. He did not repent. He did not confess. And did God say, you get to stay here? He said, you got to go. Love kids. Love my kids couple of years. I love my kids. <laughs> but if you done done something you ain't supposed to do, you ain't walking up in my house. And I said my house. You ain't walking up in my house and act like you ain't done nothing. And I'm supposed to do it because I'm a loving person. Really? If the behavior that got you out it's still the behavior that you're doing. You ain't ready to come back in. God says you ain't repented yet. You haven't acknowledged what you're doing is disrespectful to my house, which is God's house, because he's put me over the head of it. How dare I say you can come back and still do the same behavior and say it because I'm loving Really? We want to jump to the latter parts of verses 20 and 21, 22, and 23. We like the ideas of getting a robe. We like getting hugged. But something comes before the hug. Don't miss that, believers. It is a principle that God teaches over and over and over. I desire you to be close to me. But you can't be close to me and disrespect me at the same time. prodigal found the father filled with love, compassion, and grace who received him and loved him back into fellowship. The, the scripture says he's, he saw the son a long way off. Implies the father was watching continually for his prodigal son. He wants him to come back. 
He wants him to repent. He wants him to acknowledge what he did was wrong because he knows that's what's best for him. He saw him. While the prodigal son was way off, it speaks of the eagerness of the father for the return of his son. And oh my, how our heavenly father sees us when we are in a distant country. He sees us as we waste our substance, our blessings, with riotous, wicked living. Yet he eagerly desires our return once we have come to our senses, once we recognize our sinfulness, once we acknowledge how we have disrespected him. He's sitting there saying, I can't wait for my kids to come back home. I can't wait till I can love them like I want to love them without any attachments with it. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to quit loving us because we know principle, our love can't, his love can't go up or down. So don't be foolishly thinking because I'm obedient, he loves me more. That's a lie. And when I don't do what I'm supposed to do, that don't mean he loves me less. His love is unconditional. But he says, with this love, there are still terms. There are still boundaries. There are still expectations. There are still standards. And you have to meet them. But what were the actions of the Father? Now we get into this concept of reconciliation. It has been said, every Christian is a minister of reconciliation and has the responsibility of bringing harmony where there is conflict. Put another way, Tony Evans says, Christians are God's peace corps. I like that. God's peace corps. But we're going to look at a little bit more. Reconciliation. The act of God the Father whereby he does away with the hostility between a sinner and himself and establishes peace. To restore to friendship or harmony, to make consistent, to accept something unpleasant. Now this is very important. It is not God who is reconciled but man. God is not out of harmony. We are out of harmony. Eight, got one amen. Okay, so, so when we look at this harmony, don't be thinking God's got to get in harmony. He already in harmony. He ain't like me singing out of tune. He always singing in tune. He is perfect pitch. We the one that's all key. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. And I think I, I had it on the, on the screen, but if I didn't, I wanted to, to read it. And I'm going to read up at verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Mm. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Over and over you hear that God is talking about this term reconciliation. He says we are all ministers of recon reconciliation. He is saying that it is our job to share the gospel message which will make us reconciled with God once we accept God's word. 
So did any of you guys know you were in the ministry of reconciliation? Somebody asked you, what ministries are you in? You say, I'm in the choir, I'm in the ushers, I'm in this, I'm in that. God says all of us are in ministries of reconciliation. He says we are ambassadors. So now when he says we are ambassadors, that doesn't mean that Ambassador Delbert get to come up with his own message. That doesn't mean that I get to say whatever great wisdom I have in my head. As an ambassador, I am representing God who has sent me. And he gives me the message. I don't have to dream up a message. I don't have to create a message. He says, this is what I want you to say. You must be reconciled with God, because if you are not reconciled with God, you do not have peace. And you don't have not only not peace, it says you are an enemy of God. We don't, that, we don't like that message. That, that seems non, non-loving. We don't want to tell somebody they're an enemy of God. Well, you ain't telling them. God's telling them. You must be reconciled. Now, we'll give you a little Greek, because I know you guys are Greek scholars. The Greek word for reconciliation is kalalaj, which comes from two words, kata, meaning down or down from, alasil, meaning to change, Consequently, it means to come down from a high or lofty position to change from hostility to friendship. Somebody, somebody gonna start getting it. They're they, they gonna say, oh, 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 where are we going now? This is old school again. So you, you younger people, you're gonna have to try to imagine. Like the song said, if I can only imagine. Okay. <laughs> Used to be a time where we had checkbooks. How many of us are old enough to remember checkbooks? Don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed. And if you had a checkbook, you would get something called a bank statement. And your job was to make your checkbook agree with the bank statement. Because if it didn't agree, you had to do some reconciliation. So I can still remember my mother. She was just so determined. She might be off five cents. I don't know where that five cents is. I don't know where that five cents is. There's a problem, and she was not of the mindset, I'll just give up and it'll work out. So when the bank balances don't match, we don't have that mindset that it'll just work out. We work to find the error and then fix it. Jesus Christ is our fix to the error of sin. He came to reconcile us to God. He lived 33 years to fulfill all righteousness and to bring us into balance with God's righteousness. He did this for us because we could not do it ourselves. He said, you can try to be as holy as you want to be. You can try to keep all the Ten Commandments you want to be. You are never going to be righteous enough until God imputes. So four reasons sinners need reconciliation. Now, this is not only for those who are lost who never come to Christ, but we also need to understand we need constant reconciliation when we allow sin to come into our lives and get us out of balance with God. But we need to understand to that lost person that we're talking to who does not know the Lord, you might say, well, these are the reasons why you need reconciliation. One, you're powerless to help self. You're helpless. Two, you're ungodly because you have no use for God in your life. 
Three, you are a sinner because you're constantly missing the mark. And four, you are an enemy of God. Now, once again, we don't like the term enemy. You know, that changed me. Stick to the scriptures, and God says, you are not a friend of mine when you don't accept the finished work of Christ. Nice and easy. Has nothing about my feelings about you. Has nothing about I think I'm better than you. No, I'm just using the scriptures the way it was written. Well, what are the benefits received once reconciliation takes place? According to Romans 5, I believe, you begin to see some of the benefits, and one of them is, once I am reconciled with God, he declares me to be righteous. Oh, man, we only heard a few yes. They, they act like they, I, I, wait, wait a minute, let me say that one more time, because I think some of you must be still thinking your righteousness is because of what you do. So let me, let me break that bubble real fast. No. So the Bible says the moment I reconcile, the moment I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the moment I accept what he did on the cross on my behalf by God sending them here because we were helpless to help ourselves, we were powerless to help ourselves, God says the moment you believe in that, I now declare you righteous. I now impute the righteousness. I now clothe you in the righteousness of the almighty God. The moment I accept. Does that mean I'm going to live righteous? No. So we have people talking about, you know, well, the person ain't living righteous, so does that mean they believe? Separate the two. He declares you righteous. And he declares you righteous because of grace and mercy, not because you deserve it. <laughs> oh, man. Two, he saves us from God's wrath. Mm. So we, we have got a few more on that because even the flesh said, I don't want the wrath. So amen, amen, hallelujah. <laughs> I, don't the, I don't want the wrath. That's saying that God says, because you remember I said that one of those benefits is you were an enemy. The moment you accepted Christ, you are no longer an enemy of God. Therefore, the wrath is not there. We said, what is this wrath you're talking about? How are you going to be talking about God has wrath towards the enemy? How does God have wrath to those who haven't accepted the Lord? Because you look at Romans, he said, there is now no, no for more condemnation. There is therefore now no more condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. So that lets me know in my stupid mind, if I'm not in Christ Jesus, that means I got what? Condemnation. So when you're talking to that person that you say that you love who hasn't accepted the Lord, and you have never shared the gospel with them, because you're more concerned about becoming friends with them, Is that what he called us to be ministers of reconciliation so we can be friends with Bob and Joe and Susie? Then we can go have lunch once a month or once every week and we talk about all the things in the world and about our kids and God said, you ain't talked about me yet. And this person hasn't accepted the Lord and this person is an enemy of mine and this person has condemnation on them and you didn't think to bring me up once? He says, not only declares righteousness, not only saved from God's wrath, but live through Christ's life. He says in Galatians, Paul says, it is not I, but Christ who lives through me. The moment I am reconciled, now God can live through me. He can't live through me when I am still in darkness. 
but he can live through me when I have accepted Jesus Christ and I have been reconciled to the Father. And fourth, when I accept Jesus Christ, it now allows me to have peace and harmony in my life. But not peace and harmony based on the world, but peace and harmony with God. Mm. I remember, I don't know why my mom coming up, I don't know, because maybe I went to Rockford, I don't know. I remember my mom many times talking, <laughs> she, wasn't, she wasn't a biblical scholar, but she'd say things like, cut all the noise, cut all the mess, I just need a little peace. Just some peace and quiet. Well, God is letting you know you will never have peace as long as you are the enemy of his. You can have a false sense of peace, but you can only have peace when you are in harmony with God. And even, even when things are not working out the way we want or desire, isn't it interesting how God could come up alongside of us and just give us peace? Your mind start racing and say, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? How am I going to meet that? How am I going to do that? And he just says, shh, shh. If you write with me, I got you. I got you. You're talking about who's the protector, who the provider? You are God. And as long as I keep that in my mind, the bill collectors can call. I can do my Spanish. I can do my Japanese. I can do all my other languages. He don't live here. Missy Denny don't live here. Missy Denny don't live here. But I ultimately know if I'm doing what God has told me to do, he's going to provide for me. Don't know how, but he'll provide for me, and there'll be peace. Well, now let's, with all this background, now let's go to the Father's actions. He saw him. More than likely, it was a time of daylight, a time when the village center was full of people. Remember, he had not only left his family, but he had left the community by his disrespectful behavior. In essence, the prodigal says, I don't want to have anything to do with any of you. I just want my father to be dead so I can get my inheritance. I don't want the safety of the community. I don't want the values of the community. I want away from all of you. So now he's coming back, and you remember in Deuteronomy 21, 18 and 21, if a son was disrespectful to his father, there were many different things could be done. He could be treated as though he was dead. But if the disrespect was severe enough and ongoing, he could be stoned to death. And the one who was going to stone him to death was not the father, it was the village people at that gate. Don't forget that. So the father in his actions is basically saying, I not only saw you, but I was concerned about saving you. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. I'm going to run before those village folks can get you. Mm. If any stones would be thrown, they gonna hit me first. Woo! 
Mm. I said, I, I, I'd have been jogging or I got a cramp. <laughs> but his father runs. So don't just think he's just running because of the sun. He's also running to protect him from these people. While we were yet sinners, God literally imposed himself between us and his wrath. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation, it means a satisfaction, the completion for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also for those of the whole world. His death on the cross was sufficient for all the sins of the world. And the Father came down in the form of Jesus Christ and said, you can spit on me, you can slap me, you can pierce me in the side, you can nail my hands to the cross. I'm going to do all that so they don't receive this. Now you see the beautiful picture of this prodigal son. This father in this story is being that symbol of God saying, I will take the wrath of these people. If anybody's going to throw a stone, I'm going to take it. The father felt compassion for him. Greek expression is even more empathetic, a, a word that literally speaks of a sensation, a gut, a gut feeling. The father was powerfully moved with compassion, an emotion so deep, so forceful, that it made his stomach churn. A feeling, an emotion that was felt in part due to a deep sense of pity over all the terrible things and the terrible sins that had already been done to his son, but there was also a deep sense of, sense of empathy in anticipation of the contempt that was sure to be poured out on his son as he walked through the village. I'm reminded of God the Father who came down to earth as God the Son, who humbled himself to save the lost. He willingly took upon himself all the bitter scorn, the contempt, the mockery, the ridicule, the wrath our sin fully deserved. He even took our guilt upon his innocent shoulders. Some of us, if we're honest, we have gone far into a distant country ourselves. But our Father, our Heavenly Father, loves us so much. His desire, more than anything else, is to have us abiding with him, and his heart is moved by our need to abide in him. And he says the way that we abide in him is by obeying him. Don't be saying I'm abiding in him and my lifestyle is the total opposite. Don't be saying me and God and me and the Lord Jesus, we just like this, and you are constantly disobeying his word. Does that mean he doesn't love you? No. But he's actually saying to us, do you love me? You really think you're going to hang around me and do the exact opposite of what I tell you to do. And see, some of us, we act like this is like startling news. Okay? We're like, oh, where is where is this coming from? Like I said, scripture repeats itself over and over. How many weeks and months did we stay in judges? Months. And what do we kept seeing? The same cycle. They disobeyed God. 
distance themselves from him. God wouldn't let somebody else come over and rule over him. He didn't say, I'm not your father. He didn't say, I don't love you. But he said, you ain't going to keep acting like this. So let me bring some things in your life. And they would repent. Then some time would go. <laughs> then they would have another need for a deliverer over and over and over. See, the scripture is so beautiful when you look at it in its entirety. He's not going to be teaching something different here than he's been teaching throughout scripture. We love that part where the father runs. It is an apparent sacrifice of dignity. Men of that day would wore ankles, high robes. They were high and they would go all the way down to the ankles so it didn't make it easy to run. But this father ran. It was really a sign of disrespect for older men because running was for little boys and servants, not older men, especially older men who had servants and probably were of some dignitary in the community. But the men actually used to walk with a slow gait and deliberate steps. Have you ever run across a person who just carries themselves as though they know God got it? They're not rushing here, rushing there, rushing there. It's just an easy calm. God's got this. God's got this. The text used a word that speaks of sprinting. The father gathered up the hem of his robe and took off in a most undignified manner, running. And although the sun was dirty, Although the sun had rags on him, although the sun was probably still smelling of the pigs, he embraced them. Because, see, the father was not focused on the smell or the look of the son. He's looking at a repentant son who has repented. And if we repent of God, God is saying, you are the most smelling, sweet aroma in my life. I see you now as a repentant child of mine, and I see you clothed in that righteousness. See, some of us are still foolishly thinking, I got to have the right clothes on, I got to have the right smell for God to want to embrace me. And we're sometimes foolishly thinking, if I got the right clothes on, I got the latest cologne or, or, or perfume on, then now he's going to want to hug me. And God is saying, you still stink to me. Because all I'm smelling is your sin. You're coming running back to me, and you have not confessed, you have not repented, and you think I'm supposed to be happy because you got new clothes on? Really? We even understand this. Let little Johnny, let little Susie do something that get on our nerves. And it's only like, well, I don't have a nerve. Yeah, you got one. <laughs> if that little child come back to you and they got new clothes on or drive up in a car and they still do an ungodly behavior, what is, what's your reaction supposed to be? Oh, I'm happy to see you got a new car. I'm happy to see you got a new job. I'm happy to see No, I'm more concerned about your relationship with God. How is that going? We so easily get distracted. We say, oh, nice car, nice that. We most time when we ask you, how are your kids doing? Oh, they doing good in school. How are they doing in their walk? 
You can have a PhD and be in a distant country from God. I'm supposed to be excited about that? You supposed to be excited about that? Or you said, I'm praying because my son or my daughter is out in that distant country. And they don't have no desire of repenting. They don't have no desire of confessing. They just still sometimes sporadically want some of the goodies from God. Hmm. Not only did they embrace him, but a massive hug. Pharisees and scribes were probably hearing the parable at this time. They were probably going to have a heart attack. We're listening to this story, and this, this son ain't got what he deserved yet. And now this father is hugging him, embracing him, kissing him. What's going on in this story? What story are you coming up with, Jesus, to be telling us a story like this? We want to hear that the hammer was thrown on this little kid. We want to hear that this kid suffered. Then he says he kissed him. And in the Greek, it would be the present tense. He didn't just kiss him once. He continually kissed him. And all of this was done before the son was able to get out a single word. Why? Because the father already knew he had repented. Don't miss that. We said, that, well, see, he didn't repent, Pastor Danny. He ain't said nothing. God says, I already know he's repented because he came back. And don't forget, this father represents God. So God don't need to hear us say anything. He knows when we repented. He knows when we turned back to him. He's not doing somersaults because we come and we're dressed up right. He's saying, I know my child has repented. And I love him so. Finally, it says, slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. That's why God is waiting with great anticipation. He's just waiting for us to confess and to repent so he can forgive us. Because he wants to forgive us. He says, I want to forgive you. I want to I be able to fellowship you where your sinful behavior is not interrupting our fellowship with one another. Because I know when you're sinning and you're not confessing and you're not repenting, you're not going to produce more fruit to my glory because you're not abiding in me. So he can't wait to hear us say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned and I repent and I turn from these evil, wicked ways. Boom! It might take us a long time to repent, but it don't take him a long time to forgive. We ought to be thanking God because we know how long we can be shuffling our feet and dragging it out and blaming other people and playing the role of the victim. And God is saying, when you get done with all that, Are you ready to confess? Are you ready to acknowledge your sin? Don't bring anybody else in the equation. Don't say somebody else caused you to sin. You sin because you chose to. And until you're ready to acknowledge that, you are missing some of these benefits of reconciliation. Because he's saying, I can't give them to you when we're not reconciled. And we can't be reconciled if you ain't confessing and repenting. Confession, repentance is so vital. Reconciliation is so vital at the beginning when we are reconciled from our darkness, but don't think we don't still need to be reconciled because when did those bank statements come? Every month. 
We need to be constantly checking ourselves. Am I reconciled with you, God? Am I reconciled? Because next week, Lord willing, we're going to see the beauty of restoration. So we've seen repentance. We've seen reconciliation. And next week, we'll see restoration. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this journey that you have us on. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to, to see you, perhaps in a different way, but to see you that you do love us. And your love is unconditional. But that does not mean that there's not consequences when we do those things that we know are wicked. When we decide I'm going to stay in this wicked state and I have no desire to change. I like your authority in some places, God, but in these areas, I'm just fine in the distant country. So Lord, we just pray that your children hear these words, not out of anger, not out of hatred, but out of love. And for us to see what type of ambassadors we are for you, to see how well we're doing with the ministry of reconciliation that you called all of your children to, not just pastors, not just the elders, not to just super saints, but every child of God is to be an ambassador of yours. With the message that you have given us, there is no hope without Jesus Christ in our lives. For he is our hope, he is our everything. And we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. And we say these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.